All right, thanks for those WhatsApp voice notes you're sending through. Remember, uh, the number to use, 0614-104-107. If you're also itching to get your voice on the station, would love to hear from you. Uh, so send those WhatsApp voice notes and text messages on that line. Let's turn our attention now. Uh, September is also uh, Public Service Month, and we're looking at the state of public service in the country. And, you know, is it getting better or is it getting worse? Zuki Swagota is the head of monitoring and advocacy at the Public Service Accountability Monitor with Rhodes University. Uh, good morning and thank you so much for your time this morning, Zuki Swa. Morning, Cathy, and, and thanks for having us. Often the question of how, pub, how the public service is faring in this country is based on the experience of the end user. So, you know, if I have to interact with any government service and I get uh, uh, and I have a good experience, my impression is likely to be that, yes, the public service is, is working. But of course, if the opposite happens, uh, my perception is likely to be that it's simply not in a good state. But what what does the actual research tell us about the state of the public service? Thanks, Kathy. That's uh, an important question. Um, and I think it actually would be interesting to start off talking about um, what the public service charter, you know, Article 5 of the public service charter indicates should be expected, um, as you, you know, as you say, by the end user or by, um, you know, communities and the public at large. You know, what kind of service standards are we talking about? I think very often when we do talk about, you know, the, the, the state of the public service and service delivery, um, there is often a taking for granted of some of the really important aspects. I mean, I'll just look at, uh, you know, just a few, mention a few, which I thought were quite important to reflect on. One being, you know, that, that there's a need to provide friendly and helpful service, which really sounds like a soft aspect, but a really important aspect. <laughs> well, sorry, um, Zuki, so what did you say? The, the code says friendly and what? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm being silly. I'm going to switch my mic off. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the others relate to, um, you know, the, the obligation to help service users make the right choices in accessing those services. So health immediately comes to mind. Um, so it's not just that uh, a, a member of the public needs to have access to health services, but also that there is someone within the, you know, the administration who's able to say, this is a better choice for you as opposed to this. This is what this is for. This is what this service is for. Um, and, and that's actually a really important aspect that the Public Service Charter reminds us of. The other aspects um, include, you know, the need for public servants to wear name tags, which also really sounds really basic. Um, and, and yet very often in accessing public services, you're often unable to, to identify a person, follow through or, or receive feedback um, at a later stage. Um, you know, then again, I think reflecting given the context of COVID and health services, um, another aspect that the service charter speaks to is ensuring shorter queues at service delivery points. Um, and to answer your question about what is the research telling us, there's been some really interesting work that's done by a range of actors. I mean, there's the HSRC, who's over the years done some really important work in the space. Um, and more recently, in, in relation to health in particular, there's a, a project um, you know, Richard, they are amongst which is the treatment action campaign, who are monitoring health facilities across the country. I had a look at one of their reports. And Cathy, when you raised this question of what is the research telling us about the state of the public service, in particular the service delivery context, 
Um, the, the one report that received a, um, uh, which they looked at, uh, looked at 7,159 patients that were interviewed. Um, and on average, those people indicated 29% said that there were, there wasn't always enough staff to meet patients at the, at the public health facilities. Um, another aspect was waiting time. So again, the public service charter tells us that we should expect, you know, we shouldn't be waiting for hours and hours on end to receive services. Um, in this instance, Patients at 184 clinics were reported to have waiting times of more than five hours, more than five hours, Kathy, waiting for services at health facilities. Um, and so that's just one quick snapshot of some of the areas in which when we talk about the, the public service at large and, and what mm-hmm. users and what the public can expect and are receiving, there, there certainly is significant room for improvement, um, health being one of them, education being another. I could go on. Zukiswa, the the question of professionalization is one that often Mm -hmm. comes up of the public service. Are we to say that the reasons why the output of certain sectors of the public service is so low is due to professionalization? Or are there other issues that are feeding into that? Mm. I mean, I think it's, it's also an important development um, and if, if you know an, if a listener right now is trying to figure out are there positives you know in the context of reform can we look forward to something within the context of the public service the question of professionalization and what's happening at this at the moment um, and the development of a framework I think is something worth uh, being positive about um, so I think it is a fundamental aspect, uh, the notion of professionalization, but also um, developing and nurturing uh, those, those kind of fundamental aspects within the public service. So it includes issues like, you know, ensuring that, you know, the system is, is one that is meritocracy-driven, uh, um, where recruitment and career management is concerned, um, and that this should align with the National Development Plan, um, and that's, you know, I think, an interesting objective, for example, that uh, links to some of the devastating findings that we've seen through the, you know, Auditor General reports, for example, is that, you know, that the objectives of, of the framework look to um, initiate consequence management. I mean, a phrase that I think is used and abused, but um, to initiate consequence management for material irregularities. Um, and, and that really relates to transgression of, of um, key audit aspects in the PFMA and so on. The reason I raise that particular one, Kathy, is, is, you know, you ask, are there other things in addition to the professionalization or professional, um, you know, conduct and so on? And I think there's a distinction that's made actually in, in the framework between professionalization and what it is to be a professional. But ultimately, there certainly are. There, there's a political environment that uh, many public servants work in and, and often, you know, is a very challenging one. Um, and then there's this uh, really important aspect of non-compliance with legislation. And I think what's happening in the context of the Public Audit Act and those mandates or those um, amendments, there, there's certainly um, some sounds and some uh, you know, movements towards alignment that would begin to meet some of these objectives or begin to tackle some of these issues um, that go beyond professionalism but or professionalization of the public service. Mm. So there's a lot, Cathy. Um, and politics is recognized or the need to depoliticize the public service and recruitment is also recognized in the framework. And I think perhaps that's, that's one of the areas that I can imagine you 
um, you know, was in the back of your mind in that question. Of, of, of course, a, a huge burden to being able to change whether it is behavior. You, you know, as you were reading that chart, of course, um, one would, you know, you, you you'd actually... When you think about the experience that we have, or let me speak for myself, that I've had um, mm. with, with different departments in terms of trying to access different services, the, mm. the treatment I have received versus what the charter says are a night and day. And so mm. that suggests that over the years, there has been a culture that has set in. And, and culture is often a lot more difficult to change, especially mm. where you have institutions that are so big and employ so many people. Mm. Mm. No, absolutely. There was, um, speaking to your point, there was a, a, a research uh, that was undertaken by the, the um, HSRC a while back, not too long ago. And Amongst the things that they listed um, in, in terms of, you know, the kind of hub of service delivery was this, this aspect of, you know, a current culture within the public service that permits, uh, you know, a sense, the ability to do the minimum and not to take one's job seriously um, and essentially to perform your duties without any sense of public duty um, that, that, that should sit quite heavily on, on, on a public servant's shoulders as they undertake their work. Um, which then really speaks again to the to the to the you know the, the framework, which I think is is encouraging. It recognises that building a capable and professional public service can actually only be realised through the kind of public leadership in which officials and public servants themselves become proper stewards and and you know of of the rights and values that we see in the constitution. So I think it it really goes beyond uh, you know merely undertaking one's duties. And, and I think that's the importance of the public service um, and, and what it means. It's, it's really, I think for many, it, we've seen this, and I think there are many who can attest to having received uh, the kinds of services you'd want to see more of, you know, walking away from a home affairs office at one point or another and thinking, my goodness, that was, mm. you know, efficient, profici- you know, professional, and, and you could speak about it for days because it very often is rare, and that shouldn't be the case. So there are those softer aspects of leadership and development and and what it means to be a public servant um, and so when you look at what's outlined in, in the, you know the reasons for the professionalization journey that um, you know the public service is taking at the moment um, and the implementation framework I think it does recognize those really fundamental aspects and those difficulties it's it's a complex space um, and and I think we need not underplay that complexity but at the same time i think that there are certainly things that are happening at the moment that um will hopefully address that a a huge step in you know showing the public that indeed the reforms that are being implemented in the public service are working would be the Mm -hmm. issue of accountability so you spoke about people waiting in the queue for over five hours to access health Mm -hmm. services now what would make me feel a little bit better is knowing that there was a place i could go to lodge a complaint with that that complaint would be attended to and that in fact there would be some kind of consequence management that would ensure that the next time I went to that um, to that same facility I would receive better treatment than than what I had before does that mm-hmm. happen mm. oh, yeah that's a very good question um, and in fact the the Public Service Commission has quarterly um, updates and 
in that, there are definitely some worrying trends about, um, you know, the responsiveness of departments to complaints um, and grievances lodged. But, but and beyond that, um, also this aspect of and and I, and and I think the two are are linked. It's not the same thing, you know, grievances and complaints about services on the one hand, and on the other, um, reports of you know corruption related um, you know concerns. And what the Public Service Commission tells us is that you know this, uh, South Africa, as we've heard of many other policy contexts, has this robust anti-corruption framework, for example. Um, but that, you know, again, we go back to this kind of failure to implement um, aspect of things. And much the same is true when it comes to responsiveness to, um, you know, ombuds and, and related grievance procedures. Um, so when someone calls a hotline, a departmental hotline, they need to know that someone's going to take, someone at the other end will take that, you know, forward, will take it seriously, and that at some point there'll be feedback um, or some indication that um, concerns raised by the public go go towards directly improving the services um, and and where there is you know maladministration for instance that there will be some punitive action and so I think that when it comes to the kind of trust of the public um, you know by the public of the public service that's another fundamental area of weakness um, why would you want to spend time engaging in raising complaints when there's no chance that you know when you feel there's no chance they'll be addressed or addressed meaningfully mm-hmm. um, so certainly that's an, an area that deserves significant improvement and when we go to the other end of the scale of course we talk about you know whistleblowing um, in the context of, of the public service and, and whistleblowers um, we've seen recently really heartbreaking developments in terms of what it what that you know um, that level of um, I suppose, weakness within the system in that regard. So certainly, Cathy, there, there are some really devastating impacts of, of these failures that we, we can see on the daily. Mm. And when we look at the issue of whistleblowers, part of what it suggests is that there are those in the system who are content with things being the way that they are and they mm. don't want things to change. And mm. in as much as we don't know, you know, the percentages. The fact that that exists in itself is is a problem. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yes, and I, and I think that also is is precisely why, you know, many within the, the, the within civil society, ourselves included, have raised the alarm about you know the the slow pace of reform in some instances. Um, on the one hand, whistleblower protection. That we've come away. Um, there's the National Anti-Corruption Framework at the moment, and, and that certainly um, has important developments. But uh, again, where there is slowness to implement, slowness to kind of actually introduce and establish reform, that then raises the question of, you know, there are vulnerabilities that persist, and at at whose expense on the one hand, and we know at whose expense those are, um, and at whose benefit. So I think, you know, an example that immediately comes to mind are the concerns that have been raised by many civic actors about the delays with getting on with the, you know, procurement reform bill, which, as you can imagine, procurement is is in itself really complex, but speaks to so many issues of the public service and service delivery. Um, And so delays in in reform in such an important space uh, are, are certainly concerning and, again, raise questions about at whose expense, um, and at whose benefit yeah. do you know, such delays uh, occur? Suki Gota is the head of monitoring and advocacy at the Public Service Accountability Monitor with Rhodes University. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Suki It's 11 o'clock. Luyanda Maume is standing by with a latest look at your news update.